Welcome to another edition of Around with Randall, your weekly podcast on making your nonprofit more effective for your community. And here is your host, the CEO and founder of Hallett Philanthropy, Randall Hallett. It's great to have you back here on Around with Randall. And of course, I am Randall. On today's podcast, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, some interesting issues involving the great resignation, great reshuffling. They've kind of begun to change the name a little bit more from the part of the organization and some things that I think will be important for all of us to realize when we are looking for the next great employee. That's more challenging today than ever. And that's going to be, I think, the tactical pieces that come out of the podcast is some things you can do to be prepared to know what to look for, the timing, maybe some thought processes on interim status, things of that nature. As you are aware, in the current world, particularly in the nonprofit world, we are going through an immense change. We've done a number of podcasts on this employment area, including the work around the published article in the Association for Healthcare uh, Development, a, a, or professional AHP, and its publication uh, that was uh, highlighting the Great Resignation and the employment study that Hallett Philanthropy did. You're all aware of all of these changes. What is it that we need to be looking at when we're looking for either a replacement or we're going to increase our staff or we've got to add to you know the, the, the talent pool that we have? I found some interesting conversations uh, being developed through a couple of, of articles. The first was one coming from the uh, Nonprofit Times, which was what nonprofit top nonprofit leaders are looking for and it brought up some interesting points they classify the qualifications or the things that we want in employees in two kind of buckets and while i had thought about it i hadn't articulated it quite in this way and i thought it was pretty brilliantly done the first is hard skills. And frankly, that's where I spend the most amount of my time when I'm working with clients and advising them. And the hard skills are the things that are going to be the important daily activities and the skills that are needed to complete them for a particular position. And they're going to be very different depending on the particular job that's being asked to be done. So if you're a major gift officer, it's about the ability to communicate and to make phone calls. I always talk about the idea of resiliency and because there's a lot of times that we might be rejected in those calls, feeling a sense of rejection. I train on that as a part of the educational outreach that we do at Hallett Philanthropy. If you're in the infrastructure database world, that's going to be about understanding how uh, databases work, how you get data in and out of them, how to create reports. If it's in the finance area, obviously accounting and the understanding of the almighty dollar, debits and credits directly involved with trying to keep all the accounts in line, budgeting process, things of that nature. And if you're a leader, do you have a long-term vision? Do you Are you able to troubleshoot? Do you communicate well on different platforms or different with different groups? All of those are considered hard skills. What 
I was most impressed with in this article was the conversation around the thought of soft skills. These soft skills are really about the kinds of attributes that an employee applicant might have or an employee once they're hired. And they list a couple of them in the article. And I want to share these with you. I tend not to spend as much time on them. But frankly, that's to my detriment. Hard skills, obviously, are going to be the way in which someone gets their job done. But soft skills are going to be how they align with your mission. And at the end of the day, the organizations that are doing very well are, in terms of employment, are ones that have employees that are not only delivering their hard skills and the results, but are aligned with the mission. And probably I need to spend more time with these. So let's list them here if we can for a moment. It's the ability to collaborate with diverse groups, both internally and externally. Not communicate, collaborate. Building rapport and joining in a, in a direction that you, the organization or the relationship needs to go jointly together. Having genuine authenticity. A dear friend of mine, and I don't mind plugging him, uh, Nathan Chappelle, is one of the more genuine people I've ever met. That he values what he does, whatever that, how often that is, on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis. At the same level, he does his personal life. He's dedicated. He, 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 what you see is what you get. There's a sense of authenticity as to what he wants to accomplish, both at home and in an office. Finding people like that's hard. It's a difficult world in which we look at. I love the, the DISC testing, which talks about communication styles in your kind of home environment and then your adaptive, which is usually considered like stressful moments. And authenticity is really based on the same scores in the DISC, which I will not get into the details here today, the DISC in the different kind of communication in that natural state at home where you're comfortable and adaptive state when things are stressful. Are they the same? And if they are the same, that's probably at least a sign of authenticity. Interesting thought process to think about how authenticity probably elevates the entire office and the relationships you're able to build. Self-motivation, self-starter. This is particularly important in today's world as we've seen immense changes over the past two years with work environment. More people working from home. Are you able to self-start at home? Do you need help getting started every day and getting your tasks done? Or are you able to do so on your own? Another one, the approach uh, to work that is resourceful and innovative. How do you respect limited resources, but be innovative with those resources and getting new resources that the organization may not have access to? Creating an, a, a, a wonderful opportunity to be creative in how you build relationships, create a strategic vision, represent the organization. That idea of knowledge of, of limited resources and the ability to use what you have effectively, critically important. The last is long-term commitment to and passion, not around the mission, 
but the mission-driven work. And I think that distinction is important. At the end of the day, our missions should be what drives us. But the work that we do should support that mission. And that's what most employees are dealing with. While a CEO may be worried long-term about how the vision and, and mission of the organization will be applied, most everybody else in the organization is doing work to support it. And they have to buy into that work, those tasks, that daily responsibility. And if they don't, even if they believe in the mission, but the work doesn't support it, they'll more likely go find someplace else to go. And I think that is happening in nonprofit work. So when you talk about collaboration and authenticity and motivation and the idea of, of being resourceful, as well as the idea for commitment towards the work that you do every day, there's a group of people that naturally fit all of these kind of details or, or attributes. And those are millennials. Millennials may be better built for today than we realize. If your organization is understanding what millennials are looking for. Millennials have told uh, us through study after study after study, and now particularly as we move into Generation Zs, that they want their personal beliefs to align with their life's journey. So at home, do my personal values, what I think is important, align with my significant other, spouse, whomever's in the house? That's not unusual, very tried and true, but they want it to, they also want it to extend into the office environment. And because of the way they've been raised with technology changes and things of that nature, they embrace things like flexibility and innovation and meaningful work and be willing to change at a moment's notice. I think sometimes we give millennials a bad name. It's just that they see the world differently. The question becomes, can we take advantage of that? Because they may be better equipped in this era of soft skills and what we're looking for to be more aligned with what we're trying to accomplish in an office. The other thing that comes from this is the idea that we're seeing more and more, I'll call it HR, human resources commentary on the nonprofit world that HR or the leaders that make decisions on hiring principles or, or the hiring actual decision of people, they're concerned about the skills gap. So a, a terrific article, again, out of the nonprofit times, NPO employee skills gap widens can't convert on strategy. And this goes back to that differentiation between soft and hard skills. If you don't have the soft skills, it makes it hard to maximize your input and output along the strategy lines that the leadership is presenting. So let's think about this. In a study done here recently uh, through LinkedIn, the, the new modem of surveying uh, employees and employment issues, 49% of leaders indicated that they were concerned about their employees and, and, and leaders, non-CEO, managers, supervisors, a bit skill sets in developing all that they could be. What is it we need them to do and how do we help them get there? That there is a gap in this moment 
And half of the half of the executives said they have doubts whether the skill sets meet expectation. And the question is, what are they going to do about it? This has put a heavy burden on HR professionals because they they're being charged with finding the talent. And we're going to get into this here in just a second on the tactical. The other thing I would mention is is that organizations are finally coming out of the pandemic. Looks like investing more into what I'll call learning and development opportunities, whether that's coaching, conferences, uh, education, formal or informal. In that same study, 48% of the, those surveyed felt like there would be extra money, resources available in the near future or currently to help employees grow. And I think this is going to be key. The organizations that choose to invest in their employees are more likely to keep them. And so if we're viewing this from the organizational perspective, what are you doing to help your employees grow, get to where they want to go? And I'm not sure we're doing enough of that. In particular, in a nonprofit sector, I was just recently at a conference and it was uplifting to finally get to see people face to face. But a number of them said, this is the only thing that we're going to be able to do because our budgets have been cut. What is it your organization's doing to invest in your employees to get them to develop to all that they can be to serve your mission and to get those work daily routines, the hard skills necessary to deliver? So tactically, what are we talking about? Well, the first tactical piece is that budgeting process. Can you allocate some resources to ensure your employees have the ability to grow? Sometimes that's a fight with a board or a a supervisor, but having those resources is important. The second thing is, is that your searches, whether for an executive or a major gift officer or an infrastructure person, may be a lot longer than they used to be, which brings up several things to consider. Number one is the reason why is because it's supply and demand. There are people who have many more options to choose for jobs rather than just yours. Number two is, is that I think that, which has been long overdue, we are actually more open to individuals who aren't like us. And so diversity is an important characteristic. And We're more open to people that maybe we didn't think about three years ago that hopefully would have been done more naturally. But if it gets to the result of giving people a more fair chance, then at the end of the day, I'm for that. I think the other thing regarding longer searches is is that we're going to have to become more creative about non-profit jobs and hiring individuals who aren't in the nonprofit sector. This is challenging with uh, HR departments, in particular, larger organizations, because they have a very dedicated view of, we need exact job experience. And I've been saying this over and over for more than a decade. We need great job skills, those hard skills. If we have those and they can demonstrate them in another area, then that's fine. But getting that option open is sometimes a real challenge. Number two is, is that 
we may get into scenarios and situations with a board or if you're the supervisor or manager where you get panicked a little bit and just hire someone because you need to hire someone. And the term I'd put with that is settling. We don't want to do that. We may have to hold out longer. And that requires a second step. It may require a more creative thought process on the interim tag. How do you give someone the opportunity to serve in that interim role, maybe as a a application of themselves or, or, or job opportunity that they weren't doing, and maybe they can work their way into the permanency or the becoming the permanent replacement. But having options is going to be important. We're seeing an uptick in the number of interim people who are coming into an organization and staying longer, particularly at the executive level. They're the interim CEO, interim CFO, and they stick around for a while. And that may become a norm. If you're not going to settle, it may take longer to find someone, but the job still has to be done. How do you build an interim opportunity internally or externally that's going to allow the organization to continue forward, but also uh, ensure you're not going to settle in the job process? As such, number three, it's a buyer's market. And I've had multiple people who have said, I basically made the offer of the job and two days later they called and said, yeah, I know I kind of said yes, but I took another job. Or uh, I think the term is ghosting, not my area of expertise. They literally have hired the person. They never show up day one because they got another job. It is so difficult right now. It's so challenging because the market is such that the people who are looking, the employees, the applicants have all the advantages. And it's really important that, again, that soft set of skills we highlight to know that they're aligned with what we're trying to do. That's more likely that they come and work on our team if we so desire. The other interesting thing is there's a number of of positions that we might use a search firm. I've got personal experience uh, with clients that they have approached search firms and search firms have basically said, we are so busy, we can't take you on right now. That should be another indicator of this bigger picture of where the job market is. I've never seen that. So how do you advertise? How do you think outside the box? How do you get that job and those wonderful opportunities to contribute to the nonprofit out into the community where you can get applications that meet your desire level of soft and hard skills, dedication, talent? It's a really interesting time right now because organizations are really on the negative side of the balance sheet when it comes to figuring out employment situations. The applicants have all the power. So how you look, what you look for, how you set yourself up with interim status, how you uh, as a board or a leader are not going to settle, all of these things can play a critical role philosophically in being aware of what you might have to do to make it all work. And that's a lot of tactical work in conversations and organizational buy-in to make sure that the organization as a whole is doing all the right things in these turbulent employment times. Don't forget to check out the website. That's howitphilanthropy.com. Two or three blogs posted per week, leadership, nonprofit, all kinds of things for you to consider. And if you'd like to reach out to me, that's podcast at howitphilanthropy.com. Would love to hear your suggestions on a topic. And if you're downloading, watching, whatever, leave me a review. I really appreciate it. Share it with a friend. Might be helpful to someone else. And that 
that's why I do this. It's not for marketing purposes. It's really for the classroom of the 21st century. How do we help each other get to where we want to be? Don't forget you're in part of something really important, valuable, making a contribution to your community. That's what nonprofit works all about. And my all-time favorite saying, some people make things happen. Some people watch things happen. Then there are those who wondered what happened. At the end of the day, we are people who make things happen for the things in our community that are wondering what happened, the causes or the individuals who need a hand up. And that's the essence of what we do in philanthropy. I appreciate your time today. Hope this was helpful on the great reshuffle. I look forward to seeing you right back here on the next edition of Around with Randy. Don't forget, make it a great day.